We're going to go to an old familiar psalm, something that I think you probably don't even need to go there in your in your Bible. You can probably just know it by heart. Uh, but let's go ahead and stand together today in the honor of reading God's word. And look at this old familiar psalm, Psalm 23, a psalm of David. And it says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would remind us this morning of your goodness and your greatness and your generosity. God, we confess before you as your people that we are in desperate need of a shepherd. We need you to lead us. And we're thankful for the great gift of your son who is the good shepherd. And I pray this morning, whether we find ourselves in the, in the green, lush pastures or we find ourselves in the dark, shadowy valley, I pray, Lord, our eyes would be fixed upon you because you're the only one who can restore our soul. You're the only one who can provide for us the way that we need provided for. Minister to our spirits this morning, Lord, and I pray this in your sweet name. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. You know, mentioned earlier, I'm a, I'm a dad. Here are my three kids right here. Um, hope all of you dads had a great Father's Day last weekend. Everyone else has already forgotten that it was Father's Day last weekend, but we haven't forgotten. Um, it, was, it was a great time. But I love being a dad. I really do. My, my boys, um, twin boys, they're going to turn 12 in August. Uh, my daughter is eight. And uh, it's just so much fun to be a dad. And one of the things that I enjoy the most about uh, being a father is getting to relive some of those best childhood experiences. You know, it's just fun. Now, as an adult, I, I have the excuse to be a kid again because, well, I'm just hanging out with my kids, you know. Uh, and, and so there are some things that we get to do with our kids that now all of a sudden it's acceptable behavior. Um, like I love it. My daughter, she'll say, hey, can we please go catch fireflies? And, and it's like, yeah, I want to do that. That's a great time. But if it's a bunch of adults just hanging out and somebody goes, you guys want to go in the backyard and catch fireflies? It's, like, it's kind of weird, you know. Um, so it's kind of a fun thing. Now you have an excuse to be a kid again. And of course, it's, it's different with little girls than it is with boys. How many of you know that? Uh, my daughter, she's so sweet. and She'll catch the firefly and she'll play with it and give it a name. And it's just, you know. And then my boys are like, you know, if we smash their butts all over our fingers, we can be glow sticks with our hands, you know. And, and it's just kind of that, that fun little difference between uh, little boys and, and little girls. But uh, they've all kind of gone through that phase of gathering in God's creatures and and, and naming them. I mean, we had, uh, we, we just recently released butterflies. We, we started with caterpillars and uh, let's see, we had, help me Maddox, we had Bob and Jill, Flitter, Flutter, 
Climber? Who am I missing? I'm missing somebody. I already said Bob. Well, you can remind me later. Anyway, we, we named them all. I said Jill. Okay, well, you come back to me on that, but that's okay. So we, we named them all, and, and that's just what they do. And they bring in all of God's... We had a, we had a toad named Toady from our backyard. All right, I like that name. But that's what they do. And I remember one time we were driving down the road. We were, we were in my truck, and we're headed, I don't know, maybe it was the boys' baseball practice. And I look back. They're up to something. Parents, you know that when they're up to something. And I look back, there, I'm like, well, what, are you, what are you doing back there? And they're like, we have roly-polies. Great. We have roly-polies in my truck. That's good. A few minutes later, we're cruising along and they're like, hey, where did they go? (laughs) Great. We now have dying roly-polies in my truck that already smells like a locker room. And now it smells like, you know, fresh earth. Um, But it's just part of being a kid and, and part of parenting. But that's kind of the context I have when I come to Psalm 23. And I think of little David, the shepherd boy. You know, he's out there in the field with his sheep and he's naming them. And he's calling them by name and he's, he's spending time in God's creation and he's loving these little creatures. And so I find it fascinating, first and foremost, that when David speaks of God in this passage, he calls him shepherd. Now, we think of shepherd kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a highly esteemed position because we know, we know the context now biblically. But in that time, this was a very lowly position. I mean, this is David is the youngest boy. And that's the job of the youngest boy, to have to go out and take care of the sheep. Now, I was the youngest. Do we have any youngest in the room? You get dumped on with the chores, don't you? My brother had the cool job. He got to mow the yard. I thought it was cool at the time, all right, until I had to do it. But, but I got dumped on. I had to pooper scoop the yard, yeah? And so it's just kind of the way it goes when you're the youngest child sometimes. So David is out there, and, and he calls Yahweh shepherd, Not Yahweh is king. Yahweh, the the king of all creation, is shepherd. It's an interesting, interesting statement. But it's what David could relate to in this lowly and yet lonely position where he has time to name the entire herd, all right, the entire flock. And so here David is naming them, and he's building a relationship with his sheep. They have these experiences, these shared experiences where David, with his rod, would fend off predators to save the sheep. And the sheep would learn, I can trust his leadership. I got to stick close to the shepherd because it's safe there. And yet there was discipline involved, too. And there were times when that little little lamb would wander off. And if it became a, a pattern, he would take that animal and sometimes even hurt that animal, even to the point of breaking its leg. And then he would nurse it back to health and restore it, place it on his shoulders and keep it close by to teach that animal dependence upon the shepherd. And this is the kind of shared experiences they would have with one another. They would understand that the shepherd would guide them, depending on the seasons, from one field to another. Because during certain seasons, this was the pasture to be in. And at another time, this was the pasture. But from moving from here to there, sometimes placed the flock in a precarious situation, going through a dangerous and a dark valley where there was no food and there was no light and it was scary. And this is the relationship that they had. He would anoint their head with oil, meaning they would put oil over the head so that those pesky flies would stay away. This is what a shepherd would do for his sheep. And so we look at this and we also see that he provided cups for them to drink out of because sheep don't like running water. 
But it's not a cup like you and I drink out of. What he would do is he would whittle into the rock. He would create a hole. And then when the rain would come down, these cups that he would build into the rocks would fill with water and then overflow onto the face of the rock. And this is how sheep would would get their water. This is what they desired. And so that's the context. And I want you to see this imagery as we look at Psalm 23, hopefully in a new light this morning. This is what is going on. And I love Psalm 23. There's just a few observations that I want to point out. But I think before we go there, we have to recognize the fact that it's a very familiar psalm, right? How many of you could have recited it with me, right? You weren't even looking. You could just, you could hear it, probably in the King James Version. But, but you heard it. And you thought, that's beautiful. It's like poetry. And you know, Chris, I don't, I don't need a commentary. I don't even need a, a sermon. Just the poetry and the beauty of the language Minister to your spirit. And maybe you're sitting there going, Chris, you know, do we do we really need a sermon? Can we just let God's word just kind of soak into our hearts for a moment? And I say, not a chance. I'm preaching today. OK, when you preached for 18 straight years, once or twice a week and you've done it once in five months. How much time do we have? We got some time today. I got five months worth stored up. All right. Hold on. Let's do this. I'm kidding. All right. So you're like, I'm starving. Let's go. All right. Chill out. We're going to get through this. All right. But I'm excited because God has given us a word that we need to look at here today. And so some of the observations that I, that I think about, first and foremost, this psalm is not for the dead, but it's for the living. Have you ever heard this preached at a funeral? Yeah. And by the way, that's not bad. I'm not saying it's wrong. In fact, sometimes I've heard pastors who have used this and they use it correctly. And they're saying, hey, let me minister to you the living as you're walking through this dark and shadowy time of, of death of a loved one. But yet I've also heard it the wrong way where it's said that death is like the, the shadowy valley and that we're trying to get to the green pastures of heaven. Now, that may be embedded in there somewhere, but that's not really what this is about. This psalm is one for the living, not for the dead. And, and the reason that I know that is that the major theme in this psalm is movement. I don't know if you know this or not, but dead people don't have a lot of use for verbs. Okay, it's just they don't they don't need verbs. We need verbs. We're living. Go back to the passage and you can you can just see all these different verbs that are that are being used. Um, He makes me lie down. He leads me, restores, guides all this stuff. I walk. Those are verbs. And so it shows us that this psalm is for us. Those of us who are living, the 23rd Psalm is a a psalm of pilgrimage. It's about movement, but not just you and I moving. We're moving in sync with the living God. This whole psalm is about relating to God, having relationship with him. And the final destination is not heaven. It's called the house of the Lord. And it's not a church building and it's not the, the temple. It's about relationship. The house of the Lord is merely his presence in our lives. And so this psalm speaks of how you and I move and have this journey with the living God. I think one of the one of the great fallacies that we've created in the American church is that if you say a prayer and invite invite Jesus into your heart, what that's doing is getting you to heaven someday. That's not altogether wrong. So stay with me here. It's just an incomplete statement. God has called us into eternal life. With him, and that starts the minute we say yes to Jesus as our shepherd. He's moving with us 
through this life and into the next life. But it's all about relationship. I think an appropriate response to the gospel is to claim Jesus as our shepherd and to start following him and realize that eternity has already started. So first, it's, it's for the living, not the dead. And secondly, my observation here is that this psalm is a personal psalm to the Lord. Over the last few years, I've had this personal conviction uh, about when I read Scripture, making sure that I do not only individualize the passage for me, okay? And I think, again, this is a problem we have in, in our society. As Americans, Western thinking tends to put the focus on ourselves, right? When the Bible was written, it was a very different culture, very community-driven. And so an appropriate response to the Old Testament is to say, what was God saying to Israel, his people? And in the New Testament, what is God saying to the church as a whole? So I've said to the Lord, okay, when I read, I don't want to read first for me. I want to read, what does this say to God's people? But I tried it with this psalm. You know what? It didn't work. In fact, it doesn't work with a lot of the psalms. Because the psalms are you and I getting a chance to peek in on the personal devotional life of the psalmist. So David is writing this personal expression or this experience that he shares with God and we get to peek in on it. And so we kind of have to be individualistic when we read these because when I read it, I, I don't see the pronouns. I don't see we or us or they. I, I hear him say my. I hear him say me. I hear him say I. And these words that describe his relationship with the living God. And so I think that's why the Psalms are so much fun to read and, and so attractive to me is because it, I think we're all searching. We're all hungry for an authentic experience with the living God. So I, I noticed it was personal. And on that note, I take it a step further and say that these Psalms, especially Psalm 23, teaches us something about prayer. It's teaching us something about prayer. If you've ever been in that place, and I'm sure you have, where you thought, you know what, my prayer life is stagnant. All my prayers end up sounding the same. Let me encourage you, pray the Psalms. David is modeling for us how to pray. Now, I'll admit we have to be careful there because some of the Psalms, we call them imprecatory Psalms. Are you familiar with these? These are the ones where we ask God to take our enemies and smash their head against the rocks. Okay, um, that's a little confusing. I'm not telling you to pray that way. Um, for some New Testament context, we need to say, okay, well, you know what? Ephesians 6 tells us that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against the defeated foe. In the spiritual realm, we have an enemy and Jesus has already taken care of him. So we pray those a little differently. But I think the, the second thing that we do and, and recognize as these uh, psalms model for us how to pray, we remember by praying the psalms that sin is ugly. We see in the psalmist that we should hate our sins. And we recognize that even in Christ, we are capable of ugly things. Yes? And the psalms remind us how much we should hate our own sinful nature. And be reminded of what Jesus has done to our sinful nature. And so when David prays, and he prays in Psalm 23, let's remember that he speaks about God, but then he also speaks to God. So notice in the first three verses, what is David doing? He's praying to God and using the words, he. Okay, so he's talking about God. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores my soul. 
But notice the switch in verses 4 and 5. He goes from talking about God to talking to God. He says, I will not fear for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And then verse 6, he switches back. Now, I've heard John Piper say this, and it's stuck with me. He says, it's not good that we talk very long about God without talking to God. It's not good to talk very long about God without talking to God. In other words, what we're doing is we're taking our theology and moving it towards something practical, a personal relationship with Jesus. So the way that this works is that we realize as Christians, we're all at the very least amateur theologians. Okay, And by that, I mean this. We're all trying to express with our words who God is and what that means for our lives, right? That's theology. I want to make statements about God that are true and how he interacts with us. So, for example, if I say God is glorious, that's a truth statement, correct? That's good theology to say that, that God is glorious. Or I could say God is generous. That's a statement. That's a theological statement. But at what point in my prayer life do I go from stating theological statements to saying, God, thank you for your provision. You see the difference? I talked about God, but now I want to talk to God about something that is true. Where is your relationship with God? Are you filled with knowledge of who God is? Or are you overwhelmed with who God is that it outflows into this expression of how wonderful he is? Does it express your relationship with him? I mean, we can do that with a number of different things. God is glorious. But do you say, God, I adore you. For your ways are not my ways. You're amazing, God. And this is what David does for me when I read the Psalms. And, and I see in Psalm 23 a, a design um, in the way he wrote it that expresses this heartfelt feeling towards the God he not only knows about, but he knows intimately. Does that make sense? And so he's a model for us in how to pray. There is typically a connection between those people that pray. Do you know those people in your life that pray with power? You know, there's certain people in your life that when you need somebody praying, you're like, okay, I'm calling them right now. You know them? Do you know why they pray with such power? Because they're a people of the book. They are a people of the book. They've learned to pray God's word. And that's very simple. I mean, that's all there is to it. And David is teaching us how to do this. So, moving beyond that observation and all those observations, what do we do with this? I mean, it's great to say, okay, well, there's the historical context of the psalm, and here are some observations we can make in reading the psalm. But what does it have for me today? What does it have for the church today? I'm glad you asked what we see and the answer is found in John chapter 10 and in verses 11 and then in verse 14, we see in, in this passage that Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. And then in verse 14, this is what the good shepherd does. He lays down his life for the sheep. So this whole passage is pointing us to Jesus where we realize we have a good shepherd in him. And he did the ultimate task. He took on the ultimate sacrifice in laying down his life for us so we can trust him. 
Now, that word shepherd is an interesting one. It's where we get our word pastor. All right. So when I read the psalm and I and I hear it, that Jesus is my pastor, I shall not want. It's a bit intimidating for another pastor because I look at that and I go, if I am your pastor, you will want. (laughs) You will want a lot. There will be a lot left uh, to be desired. I don't know what you would want. You'd probably say, I want this sermon to be a little shorter. Uh, I want you to tuck your shirt in. Uh, I want you to do something with that hair. Just something. I don't know. There's something I'm not giving you that you would want. Um, and it's probably a good time to just take a time out and say, I hope you guys know, and I think you do, what a wonderful shepherd you have in Kevin. You, you know that? I mean, I, He has become a friend and a mentor, and I just love him dearly. But for the last four or five months, to watch him shepherd you has just been a joy. And I learn something every time I'm with him. If you haven't told him that recently, let him know. All right? Just let him know. We we never run out of, of need for encouragement. But I say all that to say, I say all that to say that as little shepherds, little pastors, we can't lead you the way you need to go. But what we're called to do as pastors, shepherds, is to say, he's over there. Sheep, little sheep, you have forgotten who your shepherd is. And you're over here and your eyes are elsewhere. Look over there. That's where he is. So that's what we do as pastors. But Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the one that will never let us be in need. And so there's three things that we need to hear before we leave here today. David gives us two of them as I shall not. And then the final one is, but I will do this. Okay. And so the very first I shall not is this. I shall not want. If Jesus is your shepherd, you shall not want. You will not be needy. You will not be needy. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that means. Because the last time I checked, I want a lot of things. Is that just me? Or are there others in the room that feel the same way? I want a lot of things and I, I want sometimes selfish things and I want sometimes unselfish things. Like I want smart, healthy, successful children. And sometimes that's maybe selfish and sometimes it's unselfish. I don't know. I want my truck to go 400,000 miles before it dies or more would be great. You know, I, I want um, I want more money. I want more stuff. Maybe you can identify. I don't, I don't know you, Christ Community Church. I don't know you that well. I know some of you. I don't know what you want. I don't know, you know if, if you want a different job. Um, I don't know if it's the guys in the sound booth wanting a smoking hot wife. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if it's just more ice cream. Because every time I get to the end of the bowl, I just think I want more. I just, I want, I want more. I don't know what you guys want. But I know if you're like me, you always want something else. I want something else. Sometimes it's unselfish, though. I mean, I want to start a church, not because I want to be the next great pastor of the world. No, I, I want to see people's lives changed. I want to see them meet Jesus. Yeah, that's not an unselfish want. That's a good want. I want lots of good things in life, too, that I think God would want. God didn't come to take away our desires. I mean, think of the psalm. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. So he didn't take away our desires. So what does this mean? So I look at the Hebrew and I kind of cross-reference that word, I shall not want, or that phrase. And I realize that we lose something in English. And beyond just English, in American culture, on top of the English, we get it all skewed. 
But I think what the passage really said is, the Lord is your shepherd, I lack nothing. I have no lack. I'm not lacking. Yet I still feel like I lack a lot of things. So I, I don't know if that gets me any closer. But what I do know is that, that God sometimes allows me to lack things. I lack safety. I can't keep my kids safe all the time, can I? I lack health. I feel like my left arm's about to fall off right now. I don't know what I did to it on Friday, but it's a mess. I lack resources. I lack understanding. I, I lack all kinds of things. And yet I see that sometimes God, sometimes God brings us into a time of lacking. If he leads me, this shepherd leads me into the valley of the shadow of death, well, shadows indicates that I lack something, namely sunlight. In the valley, there's not still water. There's not the green pasture. It's a valley. It's scary. And yet the good shepherd led me there. So could it be that sometimes God wants us to lack? I won't want everything on my terms and right when I want it. But I will want the things of God and I will trust that when he wants me to have it, I will get it. Do we think of God that way or do we get angry every time things don't go our way? Are you just mad every time he takes you through a valley because you long for the still water and the pastures and you, you just shake your fist at God and say, why? Why, God? Why are you doing this to me? I don't see it, God. I don't understand. You see, when he's our shepherd, we lack many things. Did God the Father love God the Son? Come on, this is an easy Sunday school answer. Yeah, absolutely. But didn't the foxes have a hole to sleep in? And didn't Jesus say that the Son of Man has no place to rest his head? So could it be that a loving God does allow you to lack some things sometimes? I think of Psalm 84.11 that says, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. I think of... Paul's words in Philippians 4.19 that says, My God will meet all my needs according to what? His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He loves us. Even in the valley, he loves us. But our problem is we think God is obligated to our happiness and our safety. And when it doesn't go that way, we either check out or we get mad or we start looking for excuses and so in the high moments, we sing these songs and we pray these prayers. God, I'll go anywhere you go. I'm just following you. You're my shepherd. I love you anywhere. I mean it anywhere, God. Until he calls us to do something that hurts. Until he calls us into a time of lacking. And we lose sight of the fact that we're only lacking in the valley because he's taking us to the next green pasture. You know, I think at the, at the point where we accept the fact that God knows the numbers of, uh, of the days of our lives and that not one person can harm us unless he signs off on it. You can put a gun to my head unless God says it's okay, it's just going to go click and the bullet's not going to fire. Do you believe God is sovereign? Do you believe that? Do you really have faith in where he's taking you? The second thing that David says that he will not as he says, I will not fear. I, I will lack nothing. I will want nothing. But secondly, I will not be afraid. Even though I walk through this valley, I will not be afraid. That's a beautiful thing. As we go back to the pronouns, notice he switches to you and your instead of he. He's talking to God right now. And he's declaring, you know what? God, 
I know you're taking me to the green pastures. I'm following you through this dark and shadowy place. And I think this is a time where all of us need a little introspection here. I mean, if we're honest, can we be honest with ourselves and just admit that sometimes we're not very thankful when we're in the green pastures, are we? And maybe that's why sometimes God needs to take us through another valley to a different set of green grass, a different pasture. Because in the pasture, we sometimes forget to be grateful. I don't think God is mean. I don't think God is out to just hurt us. I think God is taking us from one place to the other. And that's what I see from David. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, if you're in a good place, are you complacent? Do you trust God or do you cower in fear in the valleys? Wouldn't you say that you, you learn more about God and more about how to relate to God in the dark times of your life? You know, it's true of me. I mean, it was, it was said earlier, I grew up here in Republic. I, I lived a, a pretty sheltered life, I got to admit. It was, it was, pretty, it was pretty cush um, for the first 18 years or so. Uh, my parents loved each other. Had, you know, we didn't live extravagantly, but we, you know, we had what we needed and it was just pretty easy. You know, I just didn't have a lot of reason to doubt God or, or wonder what he was doing or why he was doing certain things. But then I go off to college and I meet my sweetheart and, and, you know, we're dating and we're kind of, you know, we see where this thing's going. And she has a car accident that almost takes her, her life. It was a scary moment. It was really the first scary moment of my life. She had a brain injury, and, and we weren't sure if she was ever going to be able to function the same way again. And I had to learn in that dark moment how to cling to God, how to look to the shepherd when things were scary. And praise God, he brought us through that. And today, I mean, even today, most of her brain works. And... Um, <laughs> and uh, more of her brain works than mine, obviously, if I would say that right now. Uh, love you, sweetheart. We just celebrated 17 years of marriage, and uh, that's applause for her, for sure. Um, <laughs> oh, God's good. I didn't feel like he was good at that time, though. Through 18 years of ministry, we've been through ups and downs. We prayed for twins. God gave us twins, and then they came early, and we spent five weeks in the NICU, and we were wondering, God... Why are you doing this to us? This was our story. It was supposed to be beautiful. We had it all scripted out. Why are you messing with us? And little by little, God has interrupted our pattern. We wanted to be in a green pasture the whole time. And he said, no, let me take you through this valley because I need you to learn to depend on me. Look, I don't like the valleys any more than you like the valleys. I was talking to Shana the other day and she was like, I don't remember the last green pasture we've been in. It's just been one valley after another. When are we getting there? Can you relate? Some of you, I see you're shaking your head like, yeah. Is God still good? Is he still loving? Is, I think so. Is it just the Sunday school answer or do we know that? I'm taking my theology and I'm trying to make it practical. I'm trying to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Even when I'm not in the green pastures. I realize that the green pastures are, all, are also dangerous because I'm tempted there to take my eyes off of God. But I'm learning to be disciplined, whether I'm in the good place or the bad place, that he is my shepherd and he led me there, whether it's my story that I've written for myself or not. Because sometimes he's God and he has the right to interrupt my story and make it his own. Turn 39 tomorrow and I'm still trying to figure this one out. 
I was trying to get a happy birthday there. I guess not. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Two I will nots and an I will. And here's the I will statement. Now I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm confident in my position. So when we hear the house of the Lord, we are again tempted to think that that's heaven. And understand when David is writing this, he is, heaven's the furthest thing from his mind. You notice they don't talk much about heaven in the Old Testament. He's not even talking about the temple. He and his son have not built the temple yet. If anything, he's thinking of the tabernacle. You know that moving temple that they had, that little tent that they took around all over the place? It actually better symbolizes God's presence in our life because it moves with us. That's what the Spirit does for us today. And so... The house of the Lord is not heaven and it's not the church building and it's not the temple. You know what it is? It's his presence in our lives. I will live in the presence of God forever. He is my shepherd. Whether the green pastures or in the dark valley, I'm sticking close to him because his presence is sweeter than anything else. And when nothing else in my life makes sense, being near him makes it all right. Amen. And this is what David is teaching us. This is what we're trying to learn from this psalm. Stephen understood it. When he's being, uh, getting ready to be put to death in Acts 7, 48, he says, However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by men. And then in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Paul says, Do you not know that this body is the temple of the living God? Therefore, honor God with your body. We are the temple his presence goes with us everywhere. And that is the promise of God to all who follow Jesus, that we have his presence. Christ Community Church, I need this word today. I hope you needed this word today. I don't know what you're going through, but I guarantee you, you've gone through some pretty painful experiences. Because everyone I talk to is telling me life can really stink sometimes. And we don't understand why he's leading us there. But if David has taught us anything, it's that the valleys are taking us to the next pasture. You can't see it now. It doesn't make sense right now. And I've learned, if nothing else, over the last several months of just heartache and pain, is that I don't need a theology lesson when I'm hurting. I don't need my friends reminding me of, you know, pure theology. You know what I need them doing? I need them praying good theology over me. I need the power of God's word being declared over my disaster. I need the promises of God by his people being lifted up on my, on my behalf. And that's what we need to do for each other. God is a good and faithful shepherd. The question is, do we really believe it in the middle of all this? So the question is, why does God shepherd his people? Two quick things and we'll call it a day. And the first one is this. It's for his renown. What does verse 3 say? Well, it says, for his name's sake. For his name's sake. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness, not for me, but for him. It was all for him. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, from him, through him, and to him are all things. Not from me, not to me, not for me, but for him. It was all for him. So when I am in a mess... And I look to Christ, he gets the glory. When life is good and I praise him for his generosity, he gets the glory. And that's the way this whole thing works. Because someday we are going to all live in his glory. 
And today, on this life, it's just a foretaste of that divine glory, right? And so the second and last thing is this. We need to remember that no matter what we're going through, His name will be exalted. Both in the valley and in the pastures, He is exalted. How many of you know Psalm 4610? Be still and know what? Yeah. Be still and know that I'm God. How many of you have quoted that in a time of distress? Now, how many of you know the end of that verse? Because know that I am God is not the end of the verse. The end of the verse is, I will be exalted among the nations. You see, you thought it was about you being rescued, about him being there in the midst of your storm, but he's going to be there in the midst of the storm because he's the stuff. You're not the stuff. He loves you. He's crazy about you, but he's the stuff. He will be exalted among the nations. His name will be declared in the valleys and in the green pasture. So church, I didn't speak directly to your individual problem this morning. But I spoke of God's faithfulness as a shepherd. And it may not make sense right now, but he's there. Cast your eyes on him and let that encourage your heart. Let it restore your soul this morning. Let me pray over you. And as I pray, I'm reminded that there could be some in this room that have never followed Jesus as their good shepherd. And if that's you, I just want you to know that there are people here that want to introduce you to the shepherd. There are people here that want to show you how to walk with him. And it starts with a prayer, a prayer of confession. God, I am lost in this world and I need you. I'm putting my eyes on you because I need you to save me from my own sinfulness and I need to walk with you and I need to quit making a mess out of my own life. And Jesus, I believe in you and your death and your resurrection. And it's just that confession that begins this journey. And if that's you that needs to start that process today, I just want to say, would you not leave here today without talking to somebody about it? There's even a little white card in front of you. You can fill it out and say, hey, Pastor Kevin, one of the staff members, will you please come talk to me about walking with Jesus? And they would love to do that. So, Lord, I pray over Christ Community Church, asking that you remind them that you're a good and faithful shepherd, whether they're in the valley or in a time of prosperity. You're still good and you're still glorious, no matter what's going on in their life. I pray most of all their eyes would be fixed on you, the author and perfecter of their faith. May we consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds, Lord, because we know that you're building us up. You're building our faith. Lord, my prayer for Christ Community Church is that they would be just a beacon of light to a dark world that surrounds them in their workplace and in their home and everywhere they go, they are the temple of the living God. Heal their hurts and remind them that you are near. And I pray all this in your wonderful name. Amen.